Uh, and let's go ahead. We'll open our Bibles uh, one last time to Luke chapter one, where today uh, we will finish uh, this series uh, entitled Expecting Praise by looking at the prophecy and really the song of worship uh, that Zachariah is going to provide for us today. So if you remember uh, from our time last week, what we saw, what we've been kind of building into leading up to this Thursday at our Christmas Eve Eve gathering, we're going to hear the story of Jesus' birth, is we saw last week that following uh, her encounter, Mary, following her encounter with Gabriel, it said that she goes in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who we saw in week one was pregnant with uh, man her own son, her own child. Uh, her and Zechariah had been barren. They were well on in age. And yet God says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And he's going to, man, he is going to, uh, man, uh, send fathers will, man, go after the hearts of their children and children to their fathers. He is going to prepare the way uh, for the Messiah. And, and so, man, Mary, uh, once she hears that she too, uh, man, will be overshadowed by the Spirit of God and that she uh, will uh, bear, uh, man, the, the, the one who would be the Son of God, she goes in haste. To meet with Elizabeth. And upon her arrival, man, we saw this picture during Joy Sunday last week where uh, she gets to the house and before Elizabeth can even respond, this baby, this child in the womb leaps for joy. It is John is filled with the Spirit in the womb and he leaps for joy. And then Elizabeth is also filled with the Spirit of God and she proclaims blessing over Mary. And then Mary, as we close our time out, sings this song again of both praise and prophecy due to this child that is to come. Because God, she says, has looked on the humble estate of his people. And by the sending of his son, he will reverse everything that has been broken. And I think that that's something that we often don't think about, right? That we think, yes, Jesus gives us life. And uh, maybe because we have uh, we've we've been taught, uh, man, uh, wrong theology about man what heaven is to be like. Man, we don't realize that, man, when Jesus comes back, he's making all things new, right? He's going to revert, not only reverse the curse, but he is going to make it. It will be a new heaven and new earth. It will be a new Eden, right? And we will be called to go for all eternity to multiply the glory of God forever. And it came by the birth of a child who would reverse all that has been broken, the moral, the social, the material, and the spiritual brokenness. He restores it all. You see, as we sit in this glorious praise and worship of Mary and Elizabeth, I think we have to remember that uh, likely as this is taking place, Zacharias in the house probably, or he's there right after and he uh, finds himself, if you remember from week one, still mute. He's unable to speak. Because when God came to him and said, hey, you will have a child, his question is, hey, I'm old and this hasn't worked ever before. Why would it work now? Gabriel says, man, one, because nothing's impossible for God. And then the consequence of that, he says, because of your unbelief, you will not be able to speak until the child is born. I've shared every week, beginning in week two, that really Zachariah and Mary's story are two different stories, right? There's a story of unbelief and a story of 
belief. And in Zechariah's story, man, fear and doubt led to unbelief. While Mary's story, Mary looks and she says, hey, how biologically then can this happen? For I am a virgin, but let God let your word be done. And we can look at that and be like, man, that's what we want for our lives. And I, we've proclaimed that, man, we want to be like Mary. But often I think we need to realize that we can relate to Zechariah. We struggle with fear and unbelief. We fear things. I mean, we fear just general things. Like, well, what's something that you fear just generally? Traffic. <laughs> what's that? Heights. Loss. Confrontation. <laughs> hey, y'all getting deep. We need to start at 9 a.m. every week. Uh, <laughs> we watched a movie with our kids this week, and uh, it's the old Jumanji, and they're watching at the end. Uh, you know, the whole time they're like, that's not scary, that's not scary. But then the spiders come out at the end. And our son Jude goes, oh no, the spiders are out. And we look over and he's like, <laughs> you could tell he was fearing. Like, you know, for me, like aside from flying, that's a totally different thing. Uh, we're not even going to that. Uh, man, I just, I fear snakes, right? Like I hate them. I fear them. I, I went to a buddy's house a couple of months ago and uh, in the Metroplex and I stayed the night. Well, his daughter loves reptiles. And that morning, he was like, yeah, my, we just got her a ball python. You want to see it? And I was like, oh, okay. And at first, I was like, yeah. Like, in my mind, I was like, okay, Kyle, like, just don't, just touch it, okay? And this thing's, like, this big. She comes out with it, and she gets, like, 10 feet. And I'm like, you can stop there. She goes, you don't want to see it? And I was like, no, that's good. And if you get any closer, it's not going to be good for that snake, okay? Like, because I don't want to be around it. Either I'm going to leave or it's going to die, you know? Like, that's the only two options we have. But we, so we, we have those things and, and we can all relate to those things and we'll even talk about it or make jokes about it or share just stories about, man, when we just kind of freaked out in fear. And, uh, but man, we also realize that there's fear like Zachariah's fear. There's fear of, man, I've been disappointed. I, this hasn't worked out. And man, we all wrestle with those moments of fear and unbelief. And also we all wrestle with the consequences of those moments, do we not? Again, it goes back to that willingness versus willfulness. Man, are we willing to just say, God, let your word be done. I'm going to trust you. I don't know how it's all going to work out. Or are we saying, God, I, I, this hasn't worked before. And I don't, know if, I, I don't know if you can do that. So we struggle with fear and we doubt. Man, how many of you maybe find yourself today just doubting the goodness of God? And because you doubt the goodness of God, what do you seek? Man, you seek to control because if I can just control everything, then I don't really need the goodness of God because I can take care of it, right? How's that working out? How many of you during the holidays feel that if you don't control the food activities and even the level of joy through the holidays, people are going to be disappointed in what they receive? When really all we had to do is just say, man, let's just delight in the goodness of God. He's enough. But because at times we fear, we doubt, like we put more in terms of what the gifts that we provide and put under the tree when our kids are just content to play with cardboard, right? Like we doubt our identity, so we seek to prove ourselves. How many of you, like you find yourself fearing and doubting, right? Like right now, like not just in this season, but constantly just there's this fear and doubt that you're going to be exposed and found out. 
for not being who you've made yourself to be or who you long to be. Guess what? You can't be enough. You can't prove it enough. You can't provide enough. You can't do enough. And I want you to hear that today. Like I'm not saying, hey, like be in shame because of that. No, actually run to God's grace because he's enough. And doubting your identity and seeking to prove yourself. Man, how many of us allow the pressure to be something, prove something, or provide something, establish our unrest rather than resting in the finished work of Jesus? Maybe today you doubt his care for you. Maybe today, like that fear of loss or that experience of loss or disappointment or whatever it is, man, you've just kind of said, okay, I'm going to keep you here. Because I don't know that you really care. And we feel as if God doesn't care about each and every little thing. We just think, again, when we don't believe that man, he's come to, re- to make all things new, just maybe certain things, and then the rest is up to us, what do we do? We feel like we have to hold it all together. Anybody feel that way? Like you're ready to go into family time in the next couple of weeks, and you're like, okay, how to prepare myself, and how do I kind of maneuver this way or that way so that we don't have conflict? I gotta balance all these relationships. I have to hold all the conflict together so it doesn't happen. Maybe that's just me because I'm a nine on the Enneagram and I'm just like, how do I, let's just move this way or that way and then I'm gonna go take a nap and everything's gonna be fine. Maybe you feel that if you don't hold together all the memories, that something's gonna be forgotten. You see, when we allow fear and doubt to take root in our lives, we, like Zechariah, find ourselves silenced. And be it the Advent season or any season, man, our worship feels silenced. But see, the good news for us today is that even in the midst of our fears and doubts, guess what? And we see this in the story today. God is still faithful and good. God is working even in these moments. He is working both through the situations that we struggle to have faith in and in our own hearts. And so we can trust that His grace will produce in us transformation. But not only transformation, it will produce an overflow of praise. Because the good work He began in you, He will see through to the end. And so, man, I think if I was going to encourage you in one way as we, as we begin our time this morning, it's to remember God's grace and mercy. It's to rest in your identity in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's to lay down the need to control, to prove and to hold it all together and that you would just be. And today, man, if you don't know Jesus and you're like, hey, but I'm still trying to control, prove and, you know, hold it all together, that you would just run to Jesus. The answer to both of those things, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, is to run to Jesus. You see, this is what grace is, and it is near to us because Jesus has come near to us. This grace, as one pastor said, is God working out our salvation in ways that sometimes feel foreign to us. But what we have to believe is that our loving Father is loving us back to His presence. Guess what? There's always more grace. His faithfulness is good and it is a grace to us even as we struggle to have faith. And you see, this is what we find in the story today because following our time of celebration and praise last week, the celebration continues with the birth of John. 
And it says in the text, we're not, I'm going to just summarize a bit of it for the sake of time. But what happens is on the eighth day, man, because they uh, follow the law and the, the things of Jewish culture on the eighth day, John is circumcised. And man, this is a big deal in Jewish culture. You see, circumcision was a setting apart. It was proclaiming identity and the covenant of God over His people. You see, it wasn't just a big deal. Like, this was a party. This was a time to celebrate. And because it was a party and a big moment in the life of their family, man, guess who shows up? Everybody. The relatives show up. The neighbors show up. Like, They all show up to celebrate what's happening. And it's here that a problem arises because guess what? Like as they show up, all these people are greeting uh, Zachariah, who again, he can't talk. And they're greeting Elizabeth and they're looking at this child and they just assume his name's going to be Zachariah. And so they're calling him Zachariah and then and Elizabeth stops and says, no, that's not his name. His name is John. And they don't know what to do with it because according to custom and culture, his name should be Zachariah, right? And so they look to the father and they, they, they assign to him, hey, what, you know, what's his name? And Zechariah looks at him and he, he grabs a piece of paper and, and he writes out that, that the child's name is to be John. You see, nine months of silence accompanied with the fulfillment of what Gabriel promised in giving them a child. Man, what it does in this moment is it leads Zechariah to obedience and faith. And it's here that we pick up in the story. So let's read verses 64 through 66. Zechariah responds by writing his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Man, what a picture of the overflow of worship one experiences through obedience. This response by Zechariah, in light of all he's wrestled with over the last nine months, man, this is a mark of expected praise. For upon his response of faith and proclaiming that his son was to be named John, it says that his mouth is open and his initial words are not the celebration of God providing he and Elizabeth a son. His initial words are, man, blessing God. See, the picture of lasting and working grace that produced in Zachariah, this is a picture of lasting and working grace that is produced in Zechariah praise. Zechariah is not upset for the, for the last nine months he's been silenced. He's not upset that God didn't give him John years and years earlier. No, Zechariah pours out his heart in worship by blessing the God who by His grace revealed Himself to be faithful and good even when Zechariah did not believe. And may we hold on to that today. That God is faithful and good even when we struggle to believe. And then look at the response to His blessing. It says this, that fear came upon all His neighbors And these things were talked about and pondered upon all throughout Judea. Who is this child? 
They, they knew something was at work. Well, what happens here is really in response is two things. First, a healthy fear of God comes on the people. The people understand that while understand while likely not fully that God is doing something. And then the product of that is spiritual reflection. They ponder it. They, as we said in week one, they center down. They slow, or in week two, they slow down enough to reflect on what God is doing in the moment and around them. Again, we would do well to get back to this. We struggle with this in our 15 second Instagram storied age. We have so much coming at us that the act of silence doesn't just make us uncomfortable. Guess what? The act of silence, if you were to just go sit in a room in silence, probably makes you a little afraid, does it not? And uncomfortable. What are you going to do with that silence? You see, when we sit in silence, it brings about the space to wrestle with that which we've run from. And some of us use noise, and I, I don't mean just sound noise, but also busyness, distraction to keep us running away from what we really need to wrestle with. When was the last time you just sat and pondered upon the grace of God in your life? When was the last time you sat down and just pondered upon His mercy? Upon His goodness, even in the midst of the seasons and moments of unbelief, that He's faithful and good. See, because we struggle to do this, the reason we struggle to do this is, is probably either we don't believe God is at work because we're too deaf, blind, and or busy to notice. Or, if we're honest, the reason we don't do that is because we believe we're the real source of grace to our lives and the lives of others. We can control it. We can prove it. And we can hold it all together. doesn't work, does it? But we keep going back to it. But this is not the response of Zechariah because following his tongue being loosed, man, he wastes no time in responding with blessing and worship to God. You see, after nine months of pondering God's grace and silence, Zechariah has good news to proclaim. And so let's continue. We're going to read the first part of this prophecy and then we'll close out with the second part, beginning in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. All of our days. Alright, so what we see here is that Zechariah's response is not simply a blessing due to the provision of his own son, but a proclamation of prophetic praise that worships the God who keeps his covenant. 
These verses proclaim the reality that God has kept the covenant He made with His people. And He begins with the Davidic covenant. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The the description of blessing here is rooted in the adoration and worship uh, two ways. First, simply for the fact that God is who He is. That He is God alone and He is the only one worthy of worship. But specifically, this is an overflow of what He has done and will do. And that's what we see beginning to be exposed in this text. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and has redeemed his people. You see, Zechariah stands in faith due to God's continual upholding of his promised covenant. But he also looks forward to what is coming in that he will visit and redeem his people. This is what Mary is talking about when she said he has brought, he has taken. And talking about Jesus, what Zechariah is doing here is he's saying, if you go all throughout redemptive history, God is always keeping his covenant with his people. He's the faithful one. He is constantly, if you look at it, he's constantly, he, he visits his people and he redeems his people. He visits his people and he redeems his people. And man, are they faithful? No, continually not. And we are a part, man, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of that. But also what Zechariah is talking about, he's saying, hey, God hasn't already, he's always done that. But guess what? Man, he's going to do that again. And the, 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 the tense that he uses is the same as Mary. And what he's saying is, it's as if it's already done. That's the faith that he has. Saying he's, he's going to visit and he's going to redeem. There's an assurance in Zechariah's tone. You see, in the coming of Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us, we have been visited by God, who because of His love came and put on flesh, lived, died, and rose again so that we might have life and salvation. He is, as Zechariah says, the horn of salvation. In the Old Testament, uh, to lift up a horn referred uh, to, uh, man, power. But specifically what it referred to is it referred to an animal that had horns uh, tossing their head to and fro, getting ready to charge. You see, the horns of an animal are both a weapon uh, of defense, but also, man, they are a weapon used for vengeance, are they not? They're saying, hey, I'm here to defend what's mine, but also, man, I'll tear you up if I have to. And then on the other side of that, which I think is so key, man, man, they're beautiful, right? Every deer hunter in the room was like, amen. And all your wives were like, not another one on the wall. Uh, right? Like that, like we see it and we're like, that's beautiful. But also, like, it's a weapon. I remember like, you know, vividly as a child, I was raised, again, a family of cattle ranchers. And so, man, if you uh, go to check on a calf in the pasture with its with, with its mother there, it's you better just just be ready. OK, like because what's happening is you're checking on it and you're seeing that head start swaying and you're like, it's not going to be good. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I would find myself just running around the truck, like not just one time, like four, five times trying to get away from this animal. Because it was like, no, I'm going to defend what's mine, but also I'm going to tear you up if I have to. And it wasn't very beautiful at the time, right? 
But I would run and I would run. You see, Jesus is the horn of salvation that would rise up in a mighty display of power, although it would come by way of his death and resurrection. And Jesus in his upside down kingdom, he doesn't reveal his power the way the world does. The world takes life, he gives his. The world sways its head in pride and arrogance and Jesus lays himself down in humility. Really what this is and what Zechariah is talking about here is a picture. This work is a picture of two advents. He says that, that he will first, he, he brings redemption at his first advent. You see, at Jesus' first advent, he ransoms us by the shedding of his own blood. But then he talks about, he says, he will deliver us from all our enemies. And what that means there is that he's talking about ultimate enemies. He's talking about our greatest enemy, the one that was undefeated and undisputed until Jesus came on the scene, death. And upon his second advent, Jesus will return and he will destroy every enemy and make all things new. God's vengeance towards sin, death, and the grave came by the shedding of his own blood, not ours. And it is marked by the restoration of all things. I loved as I as I prepared uh, uh, one commentator in response to this. He says this, and I just thought it was I just thought it was amazing. Just this amazing picture for man for all to hear is that today this horn of salvation is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, no matter how great your sin, be it murder, infidelity, perversion, betrayal, lying, jealousy, hate, gossip, whatever. Christ can save completely and eternally. Is this where your faith lies today? Is it in the horn of salvation? Are you trying to be your own defense? It'll it'll never work. No one can outrun death. I don't care how many times you run around the truck. It's going to catch you. But Jesus says, man, there's no power in it through him. But not only is Jesus a fulfiller of the Davidic covenant, and what Zechariah then does is he says, hey, you know, there's that, but it goes even further back, and he starts talking about the covenant God made with Abraham. You see, Christ's birth is the fulfillment of the promise of mercy that God made with Abraham and all that would follow. He's the God who in making a covenant with Abraham uh, does not even... Abraham's there, but he doesn't involve Abraham in it to be an active in its fulfillment. Rather, he promises himself to be the one who keeps both sides of the covenant. He says, look, Abraham, I'm going to make this covenant with you and man, the, the, man, your children that will outnumber the stars, right? He says, I'm going to make this covenant with you. He says, but don't worry, I'm going to hold up both sides of it. This is why Christ had to come on our behalf. You see, God had to come as man to uphold that which we could not so that we might what? We might receive mercy. So that in being delivered from the hands of our enemies, we might serve Him without what? Well, it says we might serve Him without fear. Which goes back to how we started off, right? Like, 
Man, when you have freedom, when you have life in Christ, guess what? You can serve without fear. This truth is something that Zechariah is not only prophesying about, but man, he now understands. For his fear has been turned to praise. While he once feared and doubted, he now, because of this covenant-keeping God, worships and serves without fear. See, this is what the good news of the gospel does. New life in Christ, which again is all of grace, leads us to serve freely without fear. It's through the finished work of Jesus that we're made holy and righteous, not just a day at a time, but for all time. And there's nothing we can do to change that. Because guess what? Jesus' sacrifice is enough. And you want to know what the true mark of freedom looks like in the life of a follower of Jesus? It's that we've been liberated to serve and to pour ourselves out because guess what? You have no fear of what's to come and you have no need for anything in return because you have everything in Jesus. The gospel not only cancels our debts and gives us life, it liberates us to actually serve others as an act of worship. It moves us from selfishness to selflessness. And today are you living in that kind of freedom? And so we get this, but then uh, I want us to close out by looking at verses 76 through 79. And you, child, he's talking about John here, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. All right, so following the beginnings of this prophecy, Zechariah finally starts talking to his son. And the one he's been waiting, not just nine months for, but years and years and years for. And he looks to his son and he says, hey, you're going to be a prophet of God who will go before the Messiah to prepare the way by giving knowledge of salvation to his people in the form of the forgiveness of sins. Now, now just think about the radical nature of what he's saying. Man, there hasn't been a prophet in 400 years. And yet Zechariah says, nope, you're going to be the one. To proclaim knowledge of salvation. This is not theoretical knowledge, but personal knowledge. And the way he does it is by proclaiming forgiveness of sin. Uh, what, what Zechariah means by that and what God uses John for is to say, hey, it's not about what you're doing externally that saves you, but what needs to happen inside of you. It's not an external salvation, but it is a change of heart. You don't need to do more. You need forgiveness. You can't produce, but Jesus can. This is what the gospel offers. It offers both authentic forgiveness and real salvation. And so he talks about his son. And then he, the song uh, uh, ends by speaking of the imminent rising of the sunrise. What's happening here is Zechariah is speaking from, he's talking about Isaiah chapter 9, where God's people are seen to be lost and overtaken by night. 
The Greek word here is literally be translated, they're sitting in darkness. It is a picture of oppression, despair, and hopelessness. These people, as Isaiah describes, not only walk in darkness, they live there. It is a picture of all who are without the saving knowledge of Jesus. They don't want, they not just walk in darkness. They live there and it is hopeless and they cannot escape in and of themselves. But what we see in Isaiah and what Zechariah describes here, he says in the midst of the darkness, light begins to shine. The sun begins to rise. The the word used for sunrise here can also be translated as the day is springing up and it relates to the cosmic appearance of Christ as the light of the world. He's the morning star that Peter states that rises in our hearts. He's the root of David, the bright morning star of Revelation 22. Jesus is the one with the authority to proclaim that He is the light of the world and that all who follow Him, what? Will never walk in darkness. And when Jesus, the Son of God, rises in our lives, we move out of the shadow of death. Not only do we not have to walk in darkness, like we don't live in darkness anymore. We're made children of light. He takes our death and gives us the light of Himself, the light of life. And our feet are are what? I love the way it ends. Our feet are led in the way of what? Peace. The peace here is not like the peace we probably think of, right? But no, it is a deeper soul peace. It is shalom. You see, in Christ we find shalom. It's not the absence of conflict. It is wholeness and completeness. It is soul rest. Jesus is the Prince of Peace that gives us peace. And then guess what? He frees us up to do two things. To worship and to serve. Man, is that you right now? Like as you think about your life. And are you freed up in that way? Have you been liberated in that way? And so as the team comes up, I just I have a few questions I, I want you to just kind of I mean, just think about, maybe wrestle with, even in the midst of just, you know, the silence. Um, and these are questions I didn't come up with, but I just think they're so good in light of today's text. Today, has the sunrise from on high filled your life? Today, do you have the knowledge of salvation Today is Christ your mighty horn of salvation. Today are you assured of the forgiveness of your sins? Today have you been delivered from the shadow of death? Today are you able to serve Him without fear? And today are your feet walking the way of peace? And my prayer for us this morning is that we would would spend some time in a healthy fear of the Lord that we might contemplate and remember the one who came and is to come and that in doing so we might be drawn more and more to expectant praise that we might be uh, on the one hand like Mary to say God let your word be done but also man if we find ourselves like Zachariah today silenced May we, man, say in obedient faith and repentance, may we look to Him and may we cry out, man, blessed is the God, man, who brings salvation to our lives.
May we no longer walk in darkness. May we no longer live in darkness. But may we, may we look to Jesus, who is the light of life. I encourage you today to lay down your need to control and to lead into assurance and rest. To lay down your need to prove and lean into identity and rest. To lay down the need to hold it all together and lean into salvation and rest. For in that you find shalom. In that you find peace. And then go and without fear, serve. Pour yourself out. Because you have nothing to fear. And so I'm going to invite you and if to, to reflect, to pray, to worship. If you, man, if today, if you're like, man, I don't, no, Jesus, I don't have that freedom. Man, come talk to me. Like, man, I'm not walking in the way of peace. I feel like I'm living in darkness. Come talk to me. I'll be up here. If you're a follower of Jesus, man, we want to invite you to come and share and communion as you share in communion. I want you to remember the one who came, the horn of salvation that came. By the giving of himself, reveal what true power is a power that conquers the grave. And we're just going to worship. So God, I thank You. God, that perfect love casts out all fear and that You are perfect love. Thank You that You cover us with grace, that You take our doubts and our insecurities and God, that You give us good news. May we proclaim it with our lives. May the good news of the Gospel just, just infiltrate every part who we are so that we might bring glory to your name so that we might serve without fear the one who came and is to come we give you glory in Jesus name Amen